Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlock. A quick trigger warning. The following discusses rape, slavery, and dehumanization. Hi listener, today I'm going to introduce you to a real-life monster. Please bear with me while I set the scene. Today we travel to Abkhazia. Abkhazia is a disputed republic in the northwest of Georgia. Much of it is heavily wooded and mountainous. Those mountains in the north are the fabled Caucasus, by the way. To the south of Abkhazia is the Black Sea. In 2008, Russia invaded Abkhazia, while Vladimir Putin's public approval rating was on a low and plummeting. I'm sure Putin would give other reasons for his invasion, however. Some say Putin freed Abkhazia to be an autonomous region. Others claim the real Y2K bug, Putin, turned them into a Russian puppet state. The history is full of odd twists and turns, and today we need to discuss a few of them. Abkhazia was, as best we can tell, first occupied by humans around 3,000 years ago. They were once the land of Colchis, the land the Greeks believed Jason and his Argonauts sailed to in search of the Golden Fleece. A young Mithridates of Pontus started his career in supervillainy there by conquering the Colchian peoples. Over time, they were ruled by Romans and then their eastern empire, the Byzantines. As the House of Wessex overthrew their Viking warlords in England, the Abkhazians threw off their Byzantine shackles. They survived as an independent kingdom for a few hundred years, about as long as the House of Wessex. They managed to do so under the protection of the mighty Khazar Khaganate. When the Khazars were slaughtered by the Kievan Rus, Abkhazia aligned with the Kingdom of Georgia. One important inflection in their history, Abkhazia were invaded by the Ottoman Empire in 1570 and forced to accept the Sultan as their overlord. Their Christian leaders were left nominally in charge but forced to convert to Islam. The Turks left an occupation force of their capital, Sukhumi. The Ottomans also took advantage of the climate to plant orchards full of citrus fruit. The orchards were run on slave labour from their empire. Then they fell under Russian influence, first in 1810. Traitors of the royal court wanted power themselves, but they needed extra muscle to pull off a coup. Russia needed access to a warm water port like Sukhumi, so very happily lent a hand. The Tsar allowed them autonomy until 1865, then they annexed them. Now three millennia in one place is quite a stretch of time, but some people believe others lived there millennia earlier. They believe wild men inhabit their dense forests. The hunters who ventured into these forests referred to them as the Abnayu, an ape-like being who more closely resembles Neanderthals than Yeti. So our tale begins in Abkhazia in the 1860s. For months, villagers near Tekina told of a mysterious beast living in their forest. Something not quite human, but carried itself on two legs, 
occasionally sighted by someone as they gathered water or walked to the mill. One day, hunters were shocked to find the creature had stumbled into a pit they dug to capture bears with. The beast was a she. It was humanoid, two meters tall, dark-skinned, broad-shouldered and extremely muscular. Though completely naked, she was covered head to toe in thick, dark body hair, with a long mane of red hair covering her head. Or at least so goes one tale. Another story claims she was caught in some other village, shackled and chained, then presented to the crown prince of Abkhazia. The prince had no need for a wild woman, so he passed her on to a courtier, who sold her to a nobleman from Tekina named Eji Ganaba. Now either way, the creature ended up in the possession of Eji, who named her Zana. Equally vague, for some reason this has never been specified, Eji had an open-air prison in his garden. Some sources indicate it was a pit, others claim he had an iron cage in his yard. Whatever the case, Zana was thrown into the enclosure. We're told she was far too wild to approach, so she was left there, alone, for three years. Terrified servants were sent out daily with food and drink. Now a picture is given of a wild beast roaring or hissing at these servants. But reading between the lines, she was trapped, isolated, and probably far more frightened than the servants were. Zana dug herself a hole in the ground, where she would spend hours at a time, curled up in a fetal position. Hey all, this one is about to get pretty dark, so I figured let's break this one up a little. While researching this tale, I found a website advertising holidays in Abkhazia. It gives 12 reasons for visiting, so I thought I'd share a few. Reason number 4. There's time warpy Soviet architecture at every turn. Actually scratch that. In 1992, Abkhaz separatists rebelled against Georgia with Russian aid. 30,000 people were killed and 250,000 ethnic Georgians were left homeless. But if so inclined, tourists can go visit their abandoned homes. Reason 3. The deepest cave in the world is in Abkhazia. That seems a somewhat less dire thing to advertise. So picking up three years down the track, Zana is considered less wild and is finally freed from her open-air prison. She has learned her name but appears to be non-verbal. Now that freedom, it's relative. She was tethered like a dog with a chain. Curious villagers gathered outside Eji Ganaba's home. They stared, slack-jawed, at the captive. When Zana approached the fence, villagers taunted her and poked at her with sticks. Parents use Zana as a boogeyman to scare their child. Now get to bed or Zana the monster will get you, that type of thing. But she was never once accused of attacking a villager who poked and abused her. In the 1960s, cryptozoologists travelled to Abkhazia and interviewed elderly villagers. They confirmed Zana was very tall, very broad-shouldered, very muscular. She also had a broad face, high cheekbones, a flat nose and a wide mouth full of gleaming teeth. Eji Janaba taught Zana to do tricks on command. He tried to force her to wear human clothes, 
This apparently failed to eventuate, and the clothes ended up torn to shreds. Edgy regularly gave Zana wine to drink. We're told Zana was regularly drunk. As time passed, the chain was taken away. Zana was allowed to enter the house. At liberty to roam a little, the villagers started to notice how superhuman she was. Most days, come rain or shine, Zana swam in the river. The villagers told the strong current could drown all but the strongest swimmers, but Zana had no problems with the current. She was also lightning fast on land, said to be able to outrun a horse. Edgy put Zana to work in the mill. Large sacks of flour weigh 80 kilograms, but Zana had no problem picking a sack up with one arm and moving it around. Zana was also put to work around the house, chopping firewood and helping a master out of his boots at the end of the day. Now one legend states Edgy started to invite friends around and, well, double check my notes. If a trigger warning makes you feel a bit icky, please skip forward now. He invited his friends around to ride Zana, his words. Some of his friends took him up on that offer. So reason 11 to visit Abkhazia is Joseph Stalin had a summer house there, near Lake Ritza. He spent many happy summers in Abkhazia. Nice for him. But for a moment, let's veer off to this fellow. Blog readers will see a man looking much like Chewbacca the Wookiee. Listeners, go check out the show notes for a link. This man was Petrus Gonsalves. He was born in 1537 on Tenerife, Canary Islands, to a native family. As a young boy, people sensed there was something a little different about him. He was soon in the possession of Margaret of Parma, governor of the Netherlands. She, in turn, gifted 10-year-old Petrus to King Henry II of France. As a living curiosity, Petrus found a place at court. He married and lived the life of a gentleman. Petrus is thought to have had hypertrichosis, hence the extra hair. If so, he would have been one of around 50 people diagnosed with a condition in history. On several occasions, one presumes nine months or so from being forcibly ridden, in Edgy's words, Zana became big with child and gave birth. Her first two children passed on. The sources claim from Zana bathing them in icy cold water. So Edgy gave the subsequent babies to the villagers to bring up. Four children survived into adulthood, living into their 60s and 70s. The last child to die, Kawit, died in 1954, just six years before the first cryptozoologists arrived. Now some of you may be thinking of the story of Oliver the Humanzi. If not, let me digress. Oliver was a chimp born in the Congo around 1957. When he was brought to the USA in 1970, he was advertised as the missing link. He walked upright. Oliver's face also had a slightly human appearance, or at least an appearance atypical of a chimpanzee. He had a flatter face and decidedly non-chimp-like ears. 
Oliver preferred the company of people over other chimps. And in his teens, he allegedly fell in love with his trainer, a woman named Janet Berger. After this, he was moved to a zoo in California, where the LA Times ran stories on him. People started asking, was Oliver a human-chimp hybrid, a humanzy? Now, the spoiler in this tale, in the 1990s, Oliver was DNA tested and found to contain no human DNA. Well, in this case, Zana's children all looked exactly like human children. They acted like human children and could speak, reason, and learn just like human children. They grew up to be accepted as human adults. They all married and they all had offspring. Now, I should mention, it's long been assumed Kawit was Edgy's son. Tellingly, Zana's two youngest children were brought up by Edgy's wife after he passed and were given the family surname. All the children were dark-skinned, all grew up well above average height, and with seemingly superhuman strength. When Zana of Abkhazia passed on, she was buried somewhere on family land, not like a member of the family, but like a family pet. When researchers arrived in the 1960s and spoke with Edgy's last remaining grandchild, he thought her body was buried under a persimmon tree. They found a skeleton in the garden, under the persimmon tree, but it was from one of her children who died young. Others stated she was definitely buried in a graveyard, like a person, so bodies were exhumed there too. Several attempts were made to find Zana throughout the 60s and 70s, all to no avail. Kuwait's skull was exhumed and examined by an anthropologist in Moscow who commented the skull was a little different from others in her collection. The difference being Kwit's face was slightly bigger than the typical human. This has led some to speculate Zana was a Neanderthal. Was it possible the Neanderthals didn't go extinct 40,000 years ago, but a handful lived on in the forests of Abkhazia? Well, anything's possible. Is it probable? Well, not likely. In my opinion, Zana was homo sapien, a human being. Well, maybe not exactly like the rest of us, she seemed rather remarkable. So starting with that dark skin. Well, remember those citrus orchards the Ottomans planted? In the 17th century, the Ottomans shipped a few thousand black African slaves in to work on the orchards. Apparently, they only ever did this the once, though I couldn't find a source explaining why. Another possibility comes from a declassified report to Nikita Khrushchev stating a ship full of black mariners crashed at some point in their history. With no rescue coming, the survivors built a home for themselves. The Greek historian Herodotus, on the other hand, claimed the original Colchians were dark-skinned with woolly hair. There is apparently evidence to the contrary from other ancient writers. But I confess, I'm getting this from other pop history writers like myself. I ran out of time to research this claim, and either way it doesn't ring a bell for me. However they arrive, an enclave of African descent still lives in Abzubsia on the Kodori River. Their language suggests they came from West Africa. It is not unreasonable to presume Zana once belonged to those people. Regarding her hairiness, I think, rare as it is, Zana probably had hypertrichosis, 
sometimes referred to as werewolf syndrome. In some cases, children are born covered in hair, but for others, it develops over time. Do we add to the horrors of Zana's life that she was exiled into the forests for turning into a werewolf or similar? Well, this is just speculation, but it scans as possible, right? Historically, people with hypertrichosis took work as human exhibits at circuses and freak shows. But was such an avenue possible for a young woman from an extremely isolated community within an extremely isolated country? Petrus Gonsalves' case was rare because he was accepted to high society as the way he was. He had seven children with his wife, Lady Catherine, four of whom were also excessively hairy. He was more a member of court than a simple novelty. Though accepted, Petrus was still considered not quite human. The fairy tale Beauty and the Beast, written more than a century after his passing, is thought to be based on his story. Her height? Well, ignoring all the Bigfoot hypotheses. Let's just get straight to the DNA. Samples were taken from Kuwait's body and from one of Zana's surviving grandchildren. They show that she was absolutely human, having originated from the Dinka peoples of South Sudan. The Dinka are an incredibly tall people, as a quick Google search shows. And regarding her speech and her refusal to wear clothes, well, who knows? The story comes through less than scientific means. Perhaps her grunts were a language the villagers didn't recognize. Perhaps she was non-verbal. Or she was so traumatized her mutism was a manifestation of the damage done to her. On the question of clothes, she was powerfully built and considerably taller than everyone around her. Did the clothes even come close to fitting her? One imagines she was given off-casts rather than custom-made garments. So, to that monster, on the off chance you're not with me yet, one day a man takes possession of a woman found living rough in the forests. He decides she is nothing more than a wild animal and brings her home in shackles. For three long years, the woman is imprisoned, left to scream and cry and possibly even beg for her freedom, and to lie in a ditch with no respite from the sun, wind or the rain. From there, she is brought out of a cage leashed and then horribly tormented by the villagers. Over the space of 20 years until her death, she is kept prisoner, used as slave labor, and raped on multiple occasions. This tale first reached me in 2015, as a slew of newspapers reported of the monster of the Caucasus. It struck me all of these reporters were so close and yet so far off on this one. There most definitely was a monster living in Abkhazia in the 1860s. And his name was Eji Janaba. Thank you for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com. You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes, and get access to exclusive bonus content via my Patreon, also in the notes. 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice. Share the episode, as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow. See you back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.